Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue in our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we are in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to be talking about Jesus's end times teaching. And we call Matthew 24 the little apocalypse. The apocalypse is another term for the book of Revelation. And in Matthew 24, also in Mark 13 and Luke 21, these are the three chapters in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the end times uh, in a little different fashion than he does in the book of Revelation. Let me just tell you right up front, I'm going to try to make this very easy, but Matthew 24 is a very difficult chapter of the Bible to properly understand. In fact, a person I consider a near genius and an expert in the Gospels, Pope Benedict XVI, wrote in his Jesus of Nazareth, Volume 2, about this passage. He says, Jesus's great eschatological discourse, that's a big mouthful, but eschatological just talks about end times teachings. So Jesus's great end times teaching could perhaps be described as the most difficult text in the whole of the Gospels. So at least I feel good. And if I found it difficult, you might find it difficult. And actually the problem is people on kind of both extremes of this tend to oversimplify it. And here's the, the question is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, does it actually refer to historical events in the past, or does it refer to prophetic events in the future, or maybe even both? And this isn't a new problem that we just discovered in the recent times. St. Augustine, about 1,600 years ago, said in the City of God, Many passages, because they seem to refer to the last judgment, yet on closer examination, they are found to be ambiguous or allude to the destruction of earthly Jerusalem. So you have two perspectives you could take here because the language that Jesus uses could refer to the destruction of Jerusalem or his language could refer to the very end times at the end of the world. Now, so-called prophecy experts, particularly those on um, TV, I guess you would say, who believe in the rapture at any moment, and they're very aggressive in using books and movies and the media, they basically, they might tip their hats slightly to an, a historical reference to these passages, but 99% of what they're going to be teaching is saying Jesus in Matthew 24 is referring to the future. And I've even seen a number of Catholic uh, so-called prophecy experts taking Matthew 24 and, and believing that it all refers to the future. And Again, I go back to Pope Benedict when he said this is difficult. The difficulty is discerning 
what is talking about the first century and what is talking about the last century. Now, when some of the rapture in any moment folks start using Matthew 24 as all future, then some very knowledgeable scripture scholars, both Protestant and Catholics, tend to kind of go the other direction and say, well, you know, you're really misusing the scriptures here because it, there's clear indications that Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred 40 years after he spoke these words in 70 AD. And they tend to harden. And I would say many, if not the majority, of your favorite conservative Catholic scripture scholars and apologists will say, no, this is all referring to past events. And I think we have to look that there could be a third alternative that there's in a certain sense that this chapter could be referring to both. But I'll just um, go ahead and give you the answer before we dig it out, is that the first half of Matthew chapter 24 is primarily referring to events that happened in the first century. They're referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. And a lot of people who just casually read Matthew 24 without knowing the historical background of the first century misread this. But notice, I didn't say it all refers to the first century. I said it primarily refers to the first century. Now, if you're looking at Matthew 24, just if you have your Bible, just pretend that the big 24 isn't there, because it certainly wasn't there when St. Matthew wrote his gospel. It was centuries later that the verse numbers and chapter numbers appeared. Okay, And really, the context of Matthew 24 begins just a few verses before. At the end of chapter 23, Jesus is saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So (laughs) the destruction of the temple in 70 AD is talking about Jerusalem. That's the context. And he says, killing the prophets, stoning those who are sent to you, How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. And then he says in the very last verse of chapter 23, Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. And just to make it easy for you, what is he talking about when he says your house? He wasn't talking about where a certain family living in Jerusalem lived the house of Jerusalem, the house of the Jews, was the temple. And then you, you don't even have to turn the page because it's on the same page, at least in my New Testament, to Matthew 24, it says, Jesus left the temple. So the house desolate, Jesus is walking away from the temple, and he was going away. And then his disciples came up to Jesus and started pointing out the buildings of the temple. And, you know, it's, it was quite an affair. It was a gorgeous temple. And verse 2 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. 
And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, which is just across the valley, looking over the temple area, as he sat in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and saying, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Now, folks on both I would call it extreme of understanding Matthew 24, uh, read this question in one way. When will it be? Well, those who think Matthew 24 is all future is saying, when will the end of the world be? And think Jesus gave very clear indications of when that would be. And then you have the so-called prophecy experts Every time there's a Mideast crisis like the one going on right now, saying we're in a countdown to so many days, months, or years until the end of the world. But that's not, the, that's not what's going on here. When will this be refers to what he just said. When will this be when the temple is forsaken, when the house is left empty, when there's not one stone left upon another upon the temple? They were just looking at it. Later in that question, what will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age? If you were a Jewish person, you couldn't imagine that the temple would ever be destroyed. And if it was, that's it. Uh, that, that's the end of the world. It's kind of like I know people in the United States think um, whatever your view of prophecy is and whatever, you, you think, well, if the United States went, that would be the end of the world. But and I love the United States, and I'm saying it's going to go. But if the United States could go, and the world could go on for quite a while, and that was their mindset, and they weren't capable within their worldview of the temple being destroyed, but the end of the world might be a way down the line. And one illustration of this, and again, uh, this is being used by both Catholics and Protestants, not as many Catholics as Protestants, but right now with the war in the Middle East, we're hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Now, right after Jesus said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, he says, when you hear of this, don't be alarmed. And people are using this to alarm people. Don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And so don't jump the gun here. The end isn't yet. That's just the beginning of things that were going to happen. Now, there is a sign of when the temple would be destroyed. And we're again, we're talking about events that transpired in the first century. So Jesus said, when you see the desolating sacrilege spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, and this is going back to the prophet Daniel, it's called the abomination of desolation, then let those who are in Judea, again, this is a reference to people living in Judea over in ancient Israel, not people living in New York City or wherever, okay, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, will never be. Now, this is the abomination of desolation. We're going to talk about this next episode as well. By the way, to understand Matthew 24 
is going to take two episodes because I'm going to go through the first century perspective part of this chapter, but there's also other things about later centuries in this chapter, but I'm not going to try to cover that in one episode. So what happened in the first century? Okay, Jesus said, when you see uh, the desolation of the temple, and, you know, it, it wasn't something that just happened blindly overnight. You know, the Romans came. They wanted them to surrender. They refused to surrender. They uh, did a siege, and they uh, encircled the entire city of Jerusalem. So it was pretty obvious. But when that was starting in the year 66, remember the temple was actually destroyed in 70, in the year 66, according to the early church historian Eusebius, the early church received a prophecy, a very specific prophecy, that it was time to leave Jerusalem. And it's a good thing that the early church believed that the gift of prophecy was still functioning, and so they left. Uh, almost all the Christians in Israel, in Jerusalem at that time, left the city and went to a place called Pella, which is about two and a half miles east of the Jordan River. It's just basically out of range from all the conflict going on. There were sources of fresh water there, a good growing season. And according to Eusebius, the majority of Christians heeded this very prophecy that I've read to you, left Jerusalem and went to Pella. Now, what happened to the Jews? Because Jesus says something so incredibly horrible is going to happen, like a great tribulation, like there hasn't been like it since the beginning of the world. Well, for this, we have actually a very good record of what went on from a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. And he wrote four volumes of early history of the church, and he was kind of, um, well, he was friendly to the Jews, but on the other hand, he was trying to explain the Jews and the early Christian movement to the Roman emperors. But he wrote four volumes, and one of his books, about 200 pages, was, uh, is entitled The Jewish War, and talked about what happened in the months in AD 70, leading up to the destruction of the temple. And um, in the future, we're going to have a Luke 21 website, luke21.com, and we will have uh, a resource on there because not everybody's going to want to read 200 pages of Josephus. But what I did is took the 200 pages and distilled it down into around 20 pages so you can get a picture of what happened, and it was truly horrible. A lot of you, or I imagine almost all of you, have seen the horrible situation that came on the recent, recent attack in Israel. Well, what went on in 70 AD was just, it was literally unimaginable because to begin with, the siege went on for a good while, and as a result, there was famine, and it was so bad that people, the Jewish people, were eating from sewers. They sold their children to obtain food. I mean, you got to be really, really hungry to, to do something like that. 
And anybody who was suspected of hiding food, just suspected, didn't mean you had food, they were just suspected of hiding food, well, you were tortured. So at night, in utter desperation, remember, the Romans are all around the city of Jerusalem, and the longer it takes to conquer the city, the madder these soldiers get, you know, like, let's get this thing over with. So some Jews would sneak out at night trying to find food. Actually, not some, a lot did. And thousands of Jews were caught this way by the Romans, and they crucified them outside the city up to 500 a day. And they ran out of crosses. The streets were filled with dead bodies. This was unbelievable. So between the famine and there were a group called zealots inside that refused to surrender to the Romans, and they would go after anybody who wanted to have kind of some kind of peace with the Romans and such. So there was killing inside, there was famine, and then when the when the Romans actually breached uh, the walls of Jerusalem and got in there, they just killed everyone, everyone, uh, men, women, and children. And Josephus recalls, listen to this. This isn't that big a city. 1,100,000 Jews were slaughtered. Another 100,000 were sold into slavery, and a bunch of others were taken back to Rome, and they were, uh, had a procession through Rome, a victory procession, and these captured Jews. It was utterly horrible. And as I say, uh, hang on to the first of the year, and we'll have that resource for you at luke21.com. But it, it was just unimaginable. And this is what the first part of Matthew chapter 24 is all about. And I dare say, and this is why people, uh, good people, good teachers who see the futurists, in other words, the people thinking that all of Matthew 24 is about the future and not about the past, if anybody really reads a summary or actually sits down and reads the Jewish war by Josephus, you'll see Jesus was talking about exactly the type of things that were ha- happening. So the first question they posed to Jesus is back it up now. And they said, when will this be? And he said, Basically, what I just shared with you, the first half of Matthew chapter 24, when will a temple be destroyed? And then when he gets through the first half of the chapter, he says this in verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Now, futurists have and I've just actually studied this back to uh, World War I, but every war, or practically every war, every Mideast conflict or the Balfour Declaration early in the 1900s, the founding of the state of Jerusalem in 1948, the successful fighting of the Six-Day War in 1967, they all say, well, the clock started ticking in verse 34, this generation. No, 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 no. This generation was that generation. It was the generation that saw all these things take place. And it's not too hard to figure out. 
let's let's do some math. Jesus speaking in Matthew 24, about 30 AD, a generation biblically is commonly understood by everybody on the dividing between how you interpret Matthew 24 is about 40 years. So 30 plus 40 is, uh, let's see, oh, AD 70, exactly when the temple was destroyed. So this is, this is very important. This was predictable. There were signs, concrete signs, that people could see the approaching problem and leave and go to Pella. And people who paid attention to Jesus's teachings escaped all this, but they weren't surprised by all this. And when it says this generation, the futurists, those who are saying, uh, even now, they're saying this generation, that verse 34 refers to that generation in answer to their questions, when will this be the house forsaken, the temple destroyed, in 70 AD. Now, you just have to skip one verse. We were in Matthew 24, 34. Skip one verse and go to verse 36, and something changes. Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, there's going to be a coming, the second coming, and this one is without warning signs. This one is without very specific uh, predictions. Uh, this one requires faithful watching and living faithfully through your life. And that's why right after Jesus gets done teaching this in the tail end of Matthew 24, it talks about the wise and the foolish servants um, that, you know, they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then you turn the page, you have a whole chapter on the wise and foolish servants. One watched and the other one didn't watch. You see, this isn't easy to predict. This isn't 30 plus 40 equals 70 AD. This is just, we don't know that day or hour. I want to come back, though, because I, I suggested that does the question, does Matthew 24 refer to everything in the past? And I just made the case that it has a whole lot to say about the past, particularly the first portion of Matthew 24. But since it's speaking specifically of the past, does it mean that there's nothing future? And again, many Catholic scripture scholars and apologists take that very position. They say that um, uh, Matthew 24 is talking about everything in the past. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. There's no concern because it doesn't have anything to do with the future. Now, this is what we'll get to next time, but I'll give you a real good preview. Uh, that view that Matthew 24 doesn't have anything to do about the future, even though the primary reference, at least the first half, is about first century, 
uh, there are some very significant folks who would disagree with the idea that it doesn't have anything to say about the future. For instance, St. Augustine didn't think it was just about the first century. St. Thomas Aquinas thought the same. Pope Benedict didn't think so. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church doesn't agree with that. So that those are four right there. So again, is it past? Certainly. And primarily. Is it all future? No. But is it maybe and perhaps a combination of both? I return to Pope Benedict in a homily on October 2nd, year 2005. And I urge you to listen carefully to this because one of the reasons we have this teaching of Jesus in the little apocalypse, Matthew 24, the same reason we have the book of Revelation, isn't just to tickle our fancy about knowing the future. It's about getting our lives straight. And here's what Pope Benedict says. The judgment announced by the Lord Jesus refers above all to the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. Yet, the threat of judgment also concerns us, both and, not either or, concerns us, the church in Europe and in the West in general. With this gospel, the Lord is crying out to our ears the words that in the book of Revelation he addresses to the church of Ephesus. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Light also can be taken away from us, us Catholics, and we would do well not to let this warning ring out with its full seriousness in our hearts. While crying to the Lord, help us to repent. Give all of us the grace of true renewal. Do not allow your light in our midst to blow out. Strengthen our faith, our hope, and our love so that we can bear good fruit. Amen. That's my amen <laughs> to Pope Benedict's statement. So you can have a full understanding that the warnings in Matthew 24 apply above all to the first century. But to consign the prophetic teaching there to the first century and not seeing anything for our day is a mistake above all mistakes. It can lead not just to errors in the church, errors in our nation, but it can affect literally our eternal destiny. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 462 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.